Midday Live on SAFM, 104 to 107. Thank you very much, Sunday. It's uh, six and a half minutes past 12, right here on Midday Live on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. A terrible, terrible start there by the Proteas. Uh, they are two wickets down against England. They are 37, 38, 37 runs. Yes, 37 for two uh, in the um, fit, make it to nine, eighth uh, over there. Uh, really a very bad start and a very slow uh, run rate. So we'll be talking to uh, Natalie Gimanus about that. Uh, it's a must win, uh, this match. It's an ICC Champions Trophy tournament. So they are into the semifinals. They will need to m- win this one so that they proceed to the finals. Of course, uh, uh, there was a prediction that we might even play the Indians in the final. was looking forward to that one. We have a special three-part series with the M23 leader there, a rebel leader, rather a rebel group in the Democratic Republic of Congo, which is accusing the country's government of refusing to negotiate at recently uh, reconvened peace talks in Kampala. So today uh, we'll have uh, the first of the three-part series. We're talking to uh, their leader there, which is Bethrand Bimiswa, and of course uh, tomorrow uh, we shall bring you the rest of their demands. Today we run the first demands. They've made three demands, and of course a warning to the South African Army and the Tanzanian troops to stay out of uh, the DRC affairs, uh, also adding that uh, they will continue to stay in Kampala, uh, but will defend themselves if uh, they were provoked into fighting. That's another story that uh, we're looking at right here on Midday Live. And of course, Labour Union AMCO and ex- Extractors Steel Port Mine in Limpopo is meeting with stakeholders in uh, the Sekokune area in a bid to end the stalemate where about 2,000 miners have been dismissed. To our top story this hour, Gauteng police have offered a reward of a 100,000 rand for any information that will lead to the arrest of those who murdered Major General Tirani Maswangani. Gauteng police chief Mzwandele Petros has told the media in Johannesburg that an investigation team is following up several leads. Police said yesterday that they couldn't find any gunshot wounds on the officer's body, although his hands and feet were tied and he had blood on his face and chest. Maswanganyi's body was found yesterday in Hammanskral, north of Pretoria. For more on this now, we joined on the line by Gauteng Police Spokesperson Neville Malila. Good afternoon to you, sir. Good afternoon to you, too. All right, uh, so far, uh, any leads right now? We know that it's only been 24 hours after the gruesome discovery of the body of uh, Major General Tirani Masongani, but are you following any leads at this point? Uh, yeah, we are. The, the provincial commissioner indicated this morning um, during the media conference that we have received a few leads from community members and he also appealed for community members to come forward with more information. And those leads were presented to the investigation team and they're following up those leads. What are you hearing so far? Um, you know, obviously we don't want to, to go into the leads and into the evidence that they are currently following up. So um, the provincial commissioner indicated that um, after, today's, after today's briefing, we will update the media again um, if there are arrests or any um, big major successes in this investigation. Of course, uh, you, you will know what to tell us and what not. But I would like to know if uh, Major General Tirani Masangani was working on uh, any specific case maybe that you would want to link to, to this at this stage? I know it's, it's very, very early and the investigations are going on, but are there any specific cases that you, you think really might have led to, to his uh, uh, death? 
The general was the cluster commander at, um, at Johannesburg Central. So being the cluster commander, he, over, um, he was responsible to oversee at eight police stations in the Johannesburg area. Now, overseeing those eight police stations, he was privileged to information in all the investigations in, those eight, in, um, in that cluster. There isn't any specific investigation um, that we can say, yes, this or the other investigation can be, um, you know, can link to the murder of, of the general. So I would say, no, there are not any specific investigations that we can say is responsible for the general's death. Mm. And you know him personally, and uh, he was ready really to, uh, to, to, to die with his boots on. Uh, that's what you're quoted as saying, that, uh, look, he had said, I've, I've been doing this for the past 31 years. I cannot be intimidated. I'm not scared. You know, I know the general, you know, I've been uh, knowing the general for a few years, and he was really, he was a tough man, he was a crime fighter, and he was in the forefront of fighting crime, not only crime, but also corruption within um, within the service. And you know that the fight against corruption in the police is one of the key pillars of our provincial strategy. So he was prepared to go all the way, ultimately, after 31 years. And how much of a of a dent and uh, of a blow is this to the police force, uh, not only in uh, the province of Gauteng, but uh, perhaps uh, across the country? You know, the provincial commissioner indicated, and, and sentiments were shared by the national commissioner and also by various politicians uh, since yesterday, that, I mean, after 31 years, 31 years of experience, it is a major blow to the organization. As I just indicated, he was, he was a leader that he had from the front, and he was a strategist. And, you know, it's a big blow for the organization, provincially as well as nationally. And he was quite senior as well. I mean, I understand that uh, if uh, uh, the police chief, Houghton police chief, Zandele uh, uh, Petros was not in the country or had to attend to other things, he will, he will sit in for him. Yeah, he was one of the um, he was one of the top twenty. I mean, we have twenty generals in um, in the Gauteng province, so um, you know those, those responsibilities ultimately goes to any of the generals. So he was senior, and he was a senior general also. All right. So what is going to happen right now? It's uh, investigations all, all the way through. How can the public assist if there is uh, any information that uh, they may have? We understand also his baki was found there and uh, his service pistol under his seat was not touched. So really, it's, a, it's, a, it's an intriguing one, this one. But uh, how can the public assist? Yeah, um, he didn't have a service pistol with him, so the, the information or the people that indicate there was a service pistol, that is, um, that is incorrect. But we're appealing to the public in terms of assistance is to come forward with any information that can lead to the arrest and successful prosecution of uh, the perpetrators. And therefore, we have offered, uh, the provincial commissioner this morning has, has offered a reward for up to 100,000 rand for any information that can help us in this investigation. And uh, the family, have you spoken to the family? How are they coping? We, um, you know, in the organization, we have our employee health and wellness services. So since yesterday, we have offered and um, our EHW um, employee health and wellness people, members have assisted the family to cope. Obviously, it is, um, it's a time and, and, and um, the family is devastated, but we're giving all support from, um, from the organizational side to the family and to other members who were at the scene. Brigadier Neville Malila, thank you very much. He is the Gauteng Police spokesperson. As we heard that uh, Gauteng Police have offered a reward of 100,000 rand for any information that will lead to the arrest of those who murdered uh, Major General Tirani Maswanganya. It's at 14 minutes now past 12.
And that's the subject of our top story this hour. Gauteng police are offering a reward of up to 100,000 rand for any information leading to the arrest of those responsible for Major General Tirani Maswanganyi's murder. Looking at the markets at this hour, gold is trading at $1,367.75 an ounce, platinum at $1,441.10 an ounce. The rand is trading at 9 rand 93 against the US dollar. Good news going back to just under 10 rand that psychological figure there at 15 rand 51 to the pound and 13 rand 30 to the euro. The news around your world changes by the minute. Which is unacceptable but the local parent who raised the alarm. Mateka was giving his opening address on the 1930. Mark Shuttleworth has taken the southern. For a loyal listener like you, losing out on the latest news is not an option. To stay in touch with updated news and views, simply tune in and keep up. SABC News, Africa's news leader. It's good to know that others recognize all the hard work that goes into running an airline. South African Airways has once again won the Skytrax Best Airline in Africa Award and the Best in Service Excellence in Africa Award for 2011. Unwavering service standards and consistency experienced at the airport and on board the aircraft were the judging criteria. Thank you to all our passengers and partners for your support. Waiting to welcome you on board. South African Airways, a Star Alliance member. Free data just got bigger and better with MTN. You can score 4 gigs of free data every month on the MTN 5 gigabyte internet package for only 499 per month. It gets even bigger. Get 8 gigs of free data every month with the MTN 10 gigabyte internet package for only 899 per month. Free data can be used all day and all night. That's more Mahala on your world-class internet network. Internet package is available on a 24-month contract. Conditions apply. MTN, everywhere you go. The Department of Trade and Industry congratulates South Africa in the business processing and outsourcing sector for winning the European Outsourcing Association Offshoring Destination of the Year Award. The offshore segment of the BPO market in South Africa has so far created approximately 18,500 jobs. The DTI offers the business processing services incentive to qualifying enterprises in the sector. For more information, go to thedti.gov.za. South Africa, inspiring new ways. Midday Live on SAFM, 104 to 107. We welcome your SMSs on uh, 34701 on anything that is your mind right now. And of course, South Africa not doing too great. The run rate not too bad, 4.58 and over. Uh, we are now into the 10th over and uh, it's a 45.42. And uh, I haven't checked out our lineup, but I see here that uh, uh, fast bowler Dale, uh, Dale Stain uh, this morning failed a late, late fitness test and has been ruled out, out uh, of, of that match that is underway right now. So spinner uh, Pangi Sonayo or Rory Kleinfeld uh, were likely repla- replacement. Yes, replacement. So we'll find out from uh, Natalie Jimenez what's uh, the state of affairs there. And of course, today marks 100 years since the passing of uh, the 1913 Native Land Act. The law created uh, reserves for black South Africans and prohibited the sale of white territory uh, to black South Africans and uh, vice versa. To commemorate this day, the Northern Cape government and more than a thousand land claimants from four different communal property associations 
Commission are holding celebrations in Sydney on Val in the Northern Cape. This comes after the recent announcement by the Department of Rural Development to reopen the land claims process to legitimize or rather legitimate claimants who missed the December 1998 deadline. For more on this now, we're joined on the line by Zanele Malunga, the chairperson of the Communal Property Association in Sydney on Val. Uh, Ms. Malunga, good afternoon. Good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you very much for asking. But first, tell us about yourselves, the Communal Property Association. What are you all about? Okay, Communal Property Association is basically a land claim. It stands for a Communal Property Association, which is um, a claim that is lodged by a community which is communal land. So in this matter, then, hence, the CPA was formulated called the Communal Property Association. Now, the CPA consists of an executive committee, which is actually leading a specific community who has lodged a claim for a specific land, right? So basically what we've done now is that when, whenever a claim is being launched, you either have claimants have a choice between financial compensation or restoration. So in this matter, people who belong on the land have opted for a restoration of financial compensation. That then, after that, then the government... Um, decides that the group of people that have that opted for land for restoration will have to benefit out of the land that they've been given to that to perform government after fossil removal. Mm. So what happens is that now that the claimants are there who came for restoration, government looks sort of looks down and sees what projects can they start on the farm, what programs can they start using to support the specific community which needs or, you know, on the need regarding that specific land area of land they came for. Like in our instance, I'm specifically from the chairperson that you've already said earlier on. Now, our land is very rich in minerals, but now we're trying to derail our people's focus, not to only focus on the mineral issues on the land, because there's quite a lot of issues that, I mean, a lot of projects can be happening on the land. Wh- which so, land is this, Ms. Malunga? Certainly on Val. Oh, okay. Val the All specific right. one that today we are hosting the 1913 Native Land Act you know, a celebration this year, you know. Okay. All right. So you're representing how many how many people right now? I see today there are about more than a thousand land claimants, but they form four different communal property associations. Yes. Yes. They are from four different communal property associations. They are from Smith Strips. They are from the other communities from Pinil, which is my neighbors. The other communities from Sydney and Val. And then you have one from Majing and you have one from 14 Streams. Mm. And, uh, Those let, are the largest CPAs around the province account. Okay, let, let's talk broadly about this process really of land claims. Uh, in your view, as you are representing these these yes. communities, uh, in your view, is it is it is it moving uh, okay? Is it is it fine? Is the pace all right? Do do we need to pace it up? Does the government really need to to speed it up? In your view. To be honest, what I respect about the government is that two years ago, in 2011, government came back to everybody who opted for land, came back to them and said to them, okay, we realized that the land issue was such an exciting issue from 1994 to 1998 after the closing of the lodgement date that actually people were supposed to, like, you know, the government had actually, like, did not, like, program which which, which which is sort of educate people as in how to utilize uh, the land. So government came back to us in 2011 uh, that the Minister of, the National Minister of Rural Development and Land Reform, together with our MET in our provinces, the had people from all over, different provinces and nine provinces, all five leaders of the CPA, you understand? He took us to a national workshop from 2011. The Green Paper, I think you've heard about the Green Paper. The Green Paper, what is very fantastic about the Green Paper is the fact that it's not 
only what government is thinking, but it's the fact that it is problems with possible solutions that are coming directly from the ground, you know, mm. from the community. Because what government did is that they brought all the leaders from different CPAs, they brought them together into one room, into a workshop, telling them, tell us as government, what is your issues on the land? What problems are you experiencing? And thus, we took all of those problems with possible scenarios to on the table, and thus we formulated a thing called the Green Paper. That Mr. Um, uh, the Minister of Rural Development and Land Information in Rural was now. It, it's actually been approved in Cabinet in May, in, on May the 15th. So what happens is that now, after doing that, there's a program now that government has came up with. So after the whole workshops were workshops, all the provinces, two people from each provinces were elected, which means one for redistribution and then one for restitution. Restitution is communal land and redistribution is for, uh, you know, a farmer. A black farmer wanting to, the government buys him a farm and he utilizes the farm and then he makes a profit out of it, you know, for himself, you know, and, and it's also, actually also a success story. So okay. what happened is that the two representatives from each province does form the Nara group. So hence the program called, the Nara group from two people from different provinces is called, they said that they came up, the government came up with a program called the Recapitalization and Development Program. Now this recap, it is, it is from any amount of specific amount what according to your business plan of your farm. You know, you understand? Mm. So basically what I'm saying is that the process has really improved coming to government. All right. Now they've given I, I, I really, uh, one of those two, two people from... Oh, all right, I, I really need to, to hear yeah, about this this large scale invasion of uh, uh, Batlaping land in uh, the 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 Khatlong. Can can you tell us briefly about that? What does the act say around about that uh, that particular issue? Which just repeat that again, can I get? The land. yes. What, what is the status on that one? Okay, the Batlaping land. Are you talking referring to Smithsburg? Because I know they are the trapping from Smithsburg. Yes. You must understand that too. That there's two. In, 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 yes, yes. That's specific one. In every claim, that you sort of find that, like in an area like Batlaping, right? You actually find that there's two leaderships there. There's been a CPA that has been established, right? And then you also find traditional leadership as well there. Do you understand what I'm saying? Sure. So what government has done is like is to say that okay, we also need to focus the traditional leadership and give it the respect that it's part. As much as they've also considered the claims of the Koi and the same people, as you know, that uh, I think in April, I NEC hosted that event, the Koi Sen Dialogue in the Northern Cape, a national workshop. Okay. So what land, what, what, what government, rural development is trying to do, they do not want to leave every, anybody out. They want to include everybody who has opted for restoration and keep giving them their back. We got you. All right. Thank you very much, uh, Zanele Madlunga, the chairperson of the Communal Property Association. Association at uh, Sydney on Val, of course, uh, today marking 100 years since the passing of uh, the 1913 Natives Land Act. Another wicket down. South Africa are now 45 for three. That wicket of uh, Robin Peterson, uh, that was the fourth wicket to go down. So uh, it's 48 for three right now. Uh, on comes uh, Captain A.B. De Villiers. Uh, we hope he will be able to steady the ship there. There are 11.2 overs gone right now, and the run rate is 4.24 per over there. It's at 25 minutes past uh, 12 right here on Midday Live on SFM South Africa's News and Information Labor. Labor Union AMCO at Extractors Steel Port Mine in Limpopo is meeting with stakeholders in the Sekukune area in a bid to end a stalemate where about uh, 2,000 mine workers were dismissed. This after workers affiliated to AMCO downed tools 
at the mine three weeks ago, alleging racism by management. Extractor has since obtained a court order instructing the miners to gather four kilometers away from the mine. For more on the latest now, we are joined on the line by AMCO branch secretary at Glencore Extractor in Steelport, that's Zeb Mabilu. Good afternoon to you, sir. Hi. All right. So the, again, I, I asked this question a while back, and I'm asking it again today. So the 2,000 workers have officially been dismissed. Has it dawned to you now that indeed this is happening as Amco? Yeah, you know, as, as Amco, we we obviously there are processes that as a branch we are we are following on the ground, and there are processes that we cannot be able to comment up about on the media that are the processes followed by the head office, uh, the president and the NEC. Now, in terms of the processes that we are following, uh, is to engage local stakeholders in order to reverse the dismissals because obviously the, the, the Sikukune is a, Sikukune area is a, is a disaster area in terms of poverty. So to dismiss so much people, obviously, it is to propel again the poverty that is already uh, the area. But uh, shouldn't you have thought about this as AMCO when you led the, uh, the, the, this, uh, the protest and protected strike? Because the mine was very steadfast in their positioning, saying that uh, this is unprotected, we're going to fire you. And they gave you the first warning and the second one, and you ignored. <laughs> you know, what we must say is, is, is to say AMCO has instigated or perpetuated the strike. What has, what has happened is that uh, workers, obviously, after the frustrations from 2011 with management on the, on, on the issues of racism, uh, felt that enough is enough. And we, we engaged management on the issues. Workers, uh, we submitted the memo workers, and we encouraged workers to, to, to go back to work so that management and union can, can continue engaging on the issues. But workers really indicated that they are not in a position to tolerate uh, the racial practices by the company. Mm. And uh, you were to meet with uh, the leadership, the traditional leadership of uh, the Sekukune district, because most of these workers come from there. How did that uh, uh, transpire? Yeah, we had met, we had met uh, with the municipalities, towards the local municipality, and other and still continue. We are currently... Uh, now with, with the second stakeholders being traditional, but we, we are just about to begin with the meeting. Now with the municipality, the municipality has had our case, and they have indicated that they will take the matter and report it to council so that council can see what kind of intervention they can assist us with. We, we approach the municipality because obviously we, as, re, as residents, we are consumers. With the job losses, the municipality will also be affected uh, negatively. So that is how and that is why we've uh, approached the municipality for intervention. All right. And briefly, what is happening right now? We told that you've been asked to uh, go ahead and do whatever you want to do, gather if you want to, but it must be four kilometers away from the mine. Yeah, we can maintain that we, in, in no way we, that we, we might have affected uh, management negatively in terms of our conduct. But when they said, when they obtained their interdict, we... We, 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 com- we complied with the interdict. We are now gathering on the main road to Mashishin, just uh, nearby next to the mine. 
So workers are coming there every day, every morning. In their numbers, over 1,000 workers have still not submitted to the call for management by or for individual appeals. So a substantial amount of people are still outside, and we feel that we are in a situation of need. Management is needing us, and we are needing management. So they must just come back to the table so we can sort out, we, so we can resolve the strike. And but, but we both have learned our lessons. Very, of course, very briefly, uh, the 2,000 uh, employees remain dismissed. No, that is true. That is true. All right, we got you. Thank you very much. Uh, that's uh, Amkus Branch Secretary at Glencoe Extractor in Steelport. Uh, that's uh, Zeb Mabilu. It's uh, 12.30 now, and let's say good afternoon to Asanda Matsaunyana <laughs> with the news. Good afternoon. Thank you very much, and Natalie Jimenez, of course, they're going for review there. There's nothing wrong with that. Wow, just maybe outside the line there, as uh, Stuart Broad was uh, bowling. But let's see. We'll update you on that one. Uh, it's uh, 25 minutes uh, to one right here on Midday Live. A couple of SMSs coming through on uh, 34701. The media contingent hold up outside the clinic where Mandela is being treated is uh, disparaging on uh, the Mandela family as well as uh, South Africans. That's uh, Ian uh, Matikoto there. And as Piwo in KwaZulu-Natal, uh, South Africa is in an era where all national sports teams are in a pathetical decline. None of our teams... Uh, is reaching semi or finals. Proteas are bowing out today. It would look like uh, indeed that a wicket has been confirmed 50 for 4. And uh, no land will be transferred to so called private owners but will belong to the state who will rent it out uh, on long term lease agreement. That's uh, Jim Ndlovu there. All right, uh, let's go now to our reporter, Lila Machnas. Uh, family members of uh, former President Nelson Mandela continue to visit the elder statement at uh, the Mediclinic Heart Hospital in Pretoria as he heads into the 12th day at uh, the medical facility. Meanwhile, the Nelson Mandela Center of Memory and the United Nations launches Nelson Mandela International Day. Joining us on the line is our reporter, Lila Machnas, live from uh, Mediclinic Heart Hospital in Pretoria. Lila, good afternoon. Good afternoon. We heard uh, some reports that uh, former President Nelson Mandela might be moved from uh, uh, that uh, particular hospital, Mediclinic Heart Hospital in Pretoria. Can you confirm this? What do you know about that? Well, at the moment, it is still just rumours. Um, I think the rumours started because the security at the hospital has been um, made less and there's much less journalists outside the hospital. But nothing has been confirmed. We haven't got any statement from the presidency and we've been, you know, being outside the hospital for all 12 days and until late into the evenings when we get these rumours that he might be moved and we haven't seen anything and, you know, earlier today his daughters, the nani um, and the director also came to visit um, and they wouldn't be visiting if, if he's going to be moved. So it's very difficult for us at the moment and we literally, we only going with what the presidency says. All right, but uh, the outside the Mediclinic Heart Hospital really used to be a hive of activity, so things are dying down today, as it were. Yes, every morning that I come to the hospital, you know, there's less and less media outside the hospital. Um, last night, three of the OB vans packed up and left. Um, I spoke to some of the international media today, and I said I think today is going to be their last day at the media, you know, waiting outside the hospital. And so the media is definitely, you know, I wouldn't say losing interest, 
but they, the story isn't as prominent as it was last week. All right. And uh, inside, any information about uh, the health of uh, the the former elder statement? Well, uh, we still only have the last update that the president gave over the weekend where he said Mandela is responding to treatment. Um, his condition is still serious but stable. And his daughter, Zanani, told us on Monday that he's doing very well. So that is the latest information that we have. I've been trying to get hold of Mac Maharaj from the presidency, but he's not answering his phone at the moment um, to get to find out if we are going to get a new update very soon because it's been three days since he's an official update from the president. Lila Machnas, thank you very much. Live from Mediclinic Heart Hospital in Pretoria. The Muslim Lawyers Association has called for the United States President Barack Obama to be arrested for war crimes. The association has filed a complaint with the National Prosecuting Authority saying Obama is responsible for several drone strikes in uh, the Muslim countries. Meanwhile, the SRC at the University of Johannesburg is also against the university's intentions of awarding an honorary doctorate degree uh, to Obama there. Let's talk to the spokesperson of the Muslim Lawyers Association. Yosha Tayop, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon and to your listeners. Why this call for Obama to be arrested? Primarily because he's confessed to a number of war crimes um, in a number of his speeches. Uh, so we have a confession from him in regard to these crimes. And because we have the legislation, both in international customary law by way of the Geneva Convention, the UN Charter, Universal Declaration of Human Rights and uh, the implementation of Rome Statute, which all allow us to proceed in this manner. Mm. But can South Africa do that? In law, we are 100% correct. I have no doubt, having read the statute, having read our papers, in law we are 100% correct. The legislation has particular regard for atrocities committed internationally by people in positions of power, which Obama currently is. The legislation um, denies diplomatic immunity because it envisages that people in this position will commit these kind of crimes. The legislation permits (coughs) the investigation and bringing to court, whether it be by way of arrest or other means, of uh, a person who becomes an accused in the complaint when he arrives on South African territory and can be prosecuted as a branch of the International Criminal Court considering Mm. that the court is established in terms of this legislation. So we're on all fours with the law. Um, the, The difficulty which is presenting itself, which in our view shouldn't, is the political reality of who Obama is in the world. Uh, but we remain hopeful that uh, that we'll get an answer on the investigation and we'll get an answer on the authorities upon whom we serve the complaint okay. um, to do the right thing. And if they don't, well, then we're uh, ready to go to court on it as urgently as possible. All right. But, uh, yes, if, you, if, if the NPA doesn't respond positively to your request uh, and your call, are you going to mobilize even for citizens' arrest, for instance? Well, we're not looking at the citizens' arrest at this stage, but what we are doing is we're looking at urgent proceedings uh, in the High Court. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's broken into stages. These stages are the investigative stage and then the arrest of securing by other means uh, in a court stage. So 
Uh, we're splitting them into two, and we intend going to the High Court once we know what the answer uh, initially from the SAPS Hawks DPCI is. And if the answer is good, well, we don't need to go to court. But if the answer is not good uh, in regard to our complaint, then there's every intention to go to court uh, to get an order ordering these institutions to do what the legislation uh, requires them to do. And, and let's recall okay. that in 2009, uh, Durko a spokesperson for Delco confirmed that they would comply with the international obligations in terms of the Rome Statute in regard to Umar al-Bashir. So there's no difference here. He was an acting head of state at the time. Okay. And, and this is, uh, yes. Very interesting, uh, Yosha Taib. I think we'll speak some more uh, in the days to come uh, before uh, Mr. Barack Obama touches down here uh, on uh, South African soil. He is a Muslim Lawyers Association, Yosha Taib, of course, making that call for the United States President Barack Obama to be arrested for war crimes. South Africa's headline consumer inflation surprised on the downside in May, coming in below market expectation. It's lowed to 5.6% year-on-year from April's 5.9%. The decrease is largely attributed to the 73 cents a litre decrease in the price of petrol between April and May, but this may change soon as the price of petrol is expected to increase in July due to the weakness of the rent. Dimakata Lishoro reports. Today is lower than expected 5.6% will be little relief for consumers who remain under pressure due to the upward trend in food, energy and transportation costs. Analysts say the soft number reflects muted demand as consumers struggle to pay bills. Yana Leroux is an economist at ETM Analytics. Despite the higher cost of imported goods, retailers are unable to pass on these higher costs to the consumers as demand is insufficient for them to force consumers to take on these higher costs. So the margins at the retail level are getting squeezed. However, the expected hike in the price of petrol in July means that today's headline inflation number is likely to be short-lived. Leroux again. We do expect the the softer number in May to be short-lived. What it could suggest is that um, inflationary pressures over coming months may not be as strong as initially expected uh, given the, the, that the transmission mechanism is softer than what we expected it to be. But nonetheless, given the weakness in the RAND, the risk to CPI remains tilted to the upside. Inflationary pressures have seen fewer South Africans able to take advantage of the low interest rate environment to pay off debt. Instead, the level of consumer indebtedness has deepened. According to the National Credit Regulator, bad debts are increasing faster than the new accounts being opened. There were 20 0.08 million credit active consumers at the end of March 2013 and just over 10 million of these consumers are in good standing while the rest have had their credit records impaired. Luisa Hedisani, Manager for Credit Information and Research at the National Credit Regulator says while the increase of impairment levels is not a surprise, it is concerning that more and more consumers are finding it difficult to pay their debts. We're not surprised by the figures because it's been an upward trend for the last few quarters but it is concerning that uh, you know you have more consumers that are falling behind 
Hence, we are cautioning consumers to say, you know, do not borrow from Peter to pay Paul, you know. Rather try and reduce your discretionary spending if you can. Try and find ways, you know. It, it, it really is not in your best interest to get more credit just to pay off your existing um, credit obligations. Since the global recession, South Africa's activity has been led by consumption. Recently, however, this has started to stagnate as consumers led in trouble as a result of job losses and muted economic growth. Outlook in the labor market remains bearish. This is despite the slight increase in jobs recorded yesterday, putting the number of employed people in South Africa to just over 8.45 million. Chris Hart is chief economist at Investment Solutions. There's very few growth drivers at the moment to actually get the economy really going fast. And for that, we need to attribute our savings rate and our investment rate in the economy. And that also looks reasonably weak at the moment. Recent figures show that growth in spending by households slows marginally to 2.3% from 2.4% as the rise in disposable income moderated. The Reserve Bank says households continue to incur further debt over the last quarter, but at a fairly modest pace, resulting in a broadly sideways movement in the household debt-to-income ratio. The Reserve Bank is likely to keep rates unchanged because of the slow pace of economic activity. Yana Explains. The Reserve Bank may have a bit more room to keep interest rates at these current accommodative levels. However, we're going to have to look at the CPI numbers going forward as well as the performance of the RAND in coming months to confirm this view. For SABC News in Johannesburg, I'm Dimakazo Leshoro. And uh, with that, let's give you your lunchtime market updates. Midday Live on SAFM, 104 to 107. JSE Report is brought to you by Telcom Business. Convergence. One solution, one service provider. Telcom Business. Sudhir Singh of Sasfin Securities. How are the markets looking today? Good afternoon. Bungie global markets have opened uh, mostly lower this morning, uh, with a key focus uh, on the Federal Reserve's two-day monetary policy meeting that starts today. We are looking for any commentary around when or how the quantitative easing program will be tapered off. However, with no uh, other alternative to quantitative easing uh, at the moment, it is unlikely that the Fed uh, will uh, taper off this program anytime soon. Over on Wall Street, uh, stocks rallied last night on hopes uh, Fed Chairman Ben Bernanke would assure markets uh, that the Fed is not going to pull back stimulus anytime soon, as mentioned earlier. But uh, just taking a look at um, the U.S. stock futures, it is pointing to a positive opening later on this afternoon. On the local front, the JSC is being led lower by the gold miners this morning. In corporate news, the famous brands reported a robust performance across the group for the quarter ending March, with franchise sales uh, increasing uh, close on 17%. And Aspen continues to extend its gains after commenting it's looking to acquire further drugs from GSK. Just taking a look at the local indices, we've got the Gold Index, which is down almost 3%. Resource 10 Index is down 0,3%. Industrial 25 Index is down 0,4%. The Financial Index is down 1.5%. And overall, the market is down around 225 points, or half a percent, to 40,779. And stocks on the move today? On the upside, we do have Aspen, which is up uh, almost 2.5% at 198 rands. ShopRite is up just over 2% at 185 rands and 70 cents. Mr. Price is up 1% at 127 rands and 30 cents. Richmond is up 0.2% at 92 rands and 50 cents. And on the downside, we do have uh, Goldfields, which is down almost 4% at 57 rands. 
Truex is down just over 2% at 82 rands and 40 cents. Netcare is down almost 2% at 23 rands and 30 cents. And lastly, we have First Rand, which is down 1.5% at 27 rands and 80 cents. And uh, your latest market indicators? Currently, we have gold, which is trading at $1,368.50 an ounce. Platinum is at $1,441.50 an ounce. Brent crude is at $106.40 per barrel. And finally, we have the rand, which is trading at uh, 10 rands to the dollar, 15 rand 60 cents to the pound, and 13 rand 30 cents to the euro. That's it from me, Bongi. Thank you very much, Sudhir Singh of Sasfin Securities. This feature was brought to you by Telcom Business. Talk to Telcom Business about getting you on the journey to convergence with a tailor-made solution. Telcom Business. Marilyn, please can you order me a midday blood sugar leveling gastronomic experience? Lunch, sir? Yes, that's the word I was looking for. Using several words when one will get the job done doesn't make sense. Neither does using several providers when you can get voice, mobile, fixed, data, cloud and IT from one service provider. Call 10217, click telcom.co.za forward slash business or visit a Telcom Direct store and get a tailor-made solution. Convergence. One solution, one service provider. Telcom Business. The M23, a rebel group in the Democratic Republic of Congo, is accusing the country's government of refusing to negotiate at recently reconvened peace talks in Kampala, Uganda. The talks broke off in April and were scheduled to start this week. The M23 succeeded in overrunning and briefly holding the city of Goma, one of the largest cities in the country's east. The rebel group leader, Bethrand Bissimwa wrote a letter to the UN Secretary-General Special Envoy for the Great Lakes region saying that rebels also believe the Congolese army and its allies are preparing an imminent attack. We bring you an exclusive three-part series interview with the M23 leader Bethran Bissimwa. Today I started by asking him about what are their views on the stalling of peace talks and why are they accusing the government of Kinshasa of, being, uh, of making such a move. Our delegation uh, went in Kampala, and I think it was uh, June 9th, uh, to resume the negotiation. Uh, but until now, the delegation of government has been calm. Uh, we don't know when they will be there, but uh, we are waiting for them till now, but they are not there. What kind of uh, reasons are they putting forward? What are they telling you about not being there? Uh, we don't know. They don't say anything. But we, uh, the next, the past week, the, the last week, they say that uh, they, they don't want to talk with us. Uh, they say that uh, they gave to the facilitator a project of, um, of uh, agreement, which they want us to sign, only that. Uh, but you know that we can sign uh, a document uh, which we didn't negotiate. Uh, this procedure cannot be uh, implemented in this uh, situation. Everything which we have to sign, it must be uh, negotiated between us and the government of Kinshasa. Uh, no party can uh, impose to the other a document, an agreement, which, which it was not um, negotiated between uh, both parties. Do you, as M23, feel let down by this move by the Kinshasa government? Are you disappointed 
that uh, the Kinshasa government is not coming to the party? Were you ready to sign and move on? Ah, yes, you know that uh, the government of Kinshasa, the option of the government of Kinshasa, it's a military uh, option. They want to fight because they know that uh, they have uh, uh, the support of uh, the intervention brigade. Uh, they, didn't, they, they don't want to talk again. They, they want only to fight. And you know that it will not uh, the National Army which will fight, but it will be the South African Army uh, and the uh, Tanzanian Army which uh, will fight. Uh, and uh, the government of Kinshasa want this uh, negotiation uh, to fail in Kampala in order to get a reason uh, to use um, this army, this uh, South African army and uh, Tanzania army, to against us again. And uh, that was the M23 rebel group leader, Petrand Bissimo. Tomorrow we shall bring you the, uh, their demands and, of course, a warning to the South African and Tanzanian troops to stay out of uh, the DRC affairs, also adding that they will continue to stay in Kampala but will defend themselves if they are provoked into fighting. Time now for Create with Michelle Constant. Create is proudly presented by Business and Arts South Africa, bringing the business of the arts and the art of business together. Of the sheer mountain top, there's beauty to behold. Oh, America, my America. Currently showing at the Market Theatre in Johannesburg is the play The Mountain Top, produced by Yellow Bunny Productions. Written by American playwright Katori Hall, this two-hander is a fictional depiction of the last night of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., set in room 306 of the famous Lorraine Motel in Memphis on the eve of his assassination. The play depicts this historical figure as a vulnerable man with flaws. For Seno Sebozani, portraying Martin Luther King, it's an intimidating role, and he says he brought his own interpretation of the man to the character. To wear that suit, the Martin Luther King suit, before I go into state, it's a process and a half. And as they say sometimes, be careful of what you wish for, because I've always wished for something great, challenging. And of course, to act Martin Luther King, please, the man himself. I mean, it's also my own interpretation as well. You know, he had flaws, he smoked, you know, and people think, that when you're a man of the cloth, you don't smoke, you don't drink. The man had flaws just like any other man. He bled red blood, not green. Actress Moenya Kabwe plays Kamiya, the hotel chambermaid, who provokes King to examine his internal struggle, whilst she herself comes to terms with her past and baggage. Her function in the play is as an intervention, and she arrives to ask him to question a whole range of things about his life and his politics and his decisions before he dies. As the fictional character, the work was really around making her whole and making her believable and Mm -hmm. making her appropriate for King's imagination. And she's complicated. It's baggage that isn't revealed until close to the end, which is also an interesting challenge as an actor to really tap into what the baggage is and be very careful about when it's revealed and why and how and all of those things. But yeah, she's carrying a lot. According to Kabwe, one of the aims of the play is to humanize the icon. The play is really written to humanize an iconic figure in a way that people might not be expecting to see. And for that reason, it's really interesting to be doing it now 
here, as in with Mandela and Israel Health, and I think it's got some really important resonances for historical figures who are iconicized in various ways and turned into brands. And so this is really a glimpse at figures like that and at their human side. Central to the play is the unforeseen twist that changes the play from a biographical drama into the supernatural realm. For director Warana Siani, balancing the two planes or two worlds has been the most challenging for her. I thought it was creatively very challenging in figuring out the quirkiness amidst the natural and how to help them work together as one space so the real becomes a bit unreal and how to merge them somewhat seamlessly but just to have them be parts that fit in one piece that it doesn't seem like two different plays. I mean we had to believe in that world we had to believe it when it started to unravel so we had to essentially look at our own belief systems and see how they can support that magical realism type of space that the play goes into but still also maintain the quirkiness of it as well both Siane and Sebotsani believe that the play has a timeless universal message and highlights that as much as things change, they still remain the same. To think that the politics of 1968 America are politics of South Africa in 2013 is just like, whoa, what really changes? Is it that time just moves or is time standing still? What we change are laws which in effect don't even change because we're not shifting. Because if 1968 is 2013 in Joburg, like what is it really that is changed? Is the future as beautiful as it? <laughs> yes, and as ugly as me too. It's also about a play about poor people. The poor people are always left outside there. So it talks about them. Because people get richer and richer. As we see in our country what's going on as well, it's exactly what's going on here. And it shows that not a lot has changed, actually. The Mountaintop will be running at the Market Theatre in Johannesburg until the 21st of July. I'm Michelle Constant. This feature was produced by Monique Stunder, and you can email me on create at barsa.co.za. Create, proudly brought to you by Business and Arts South Africa, creating new opportunities for business arts partnerships. Email create at barsa.co.za. And that does it for your Wednesday edition of uh, Midday Live here on SFM. Thanks to the teams, Tarazelo Damini, Mabubuloka, and uh, technical producer, Judy Motupi, and senior producer, Normalizo Mandela, executive producers, Busi Chan and Opusechi. My name is Bongi Kuala. Till we meet again tomorrow for your Thursday edition, Nancy Richards is up next with Otherwise. Bye-bye.